Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hey guys, I hope you're having a great day. Please do me a favor, hit that like button, and then let's get started. Before I get to the main topic of this video, I want to share the latest news regarding Richard Allen, the man charged in the deaths of teenagers Libby German and Abby Williams of Delphi, Indiana. Fox News is reporting that at 3 a.m. on June 18th of 2015, Richard Allen's wife, Kathy, called the police to their home for a domestic incident. Kathy told the officers that Allen was drunk. She ended up taking him to a nearby hospital to be evaluated. According to Sheriff Toby Lesenby of the Carroll County Sheriff's Office, the deputy's role during the incident was to keep the peace, and no arrests were made. There are no additional details about that 2015 incident or Richard Allen's evaluation. Also, it's unclear if this was a regular hospital or a mental health facility. Note that this was two years prior to Libby and Abby's deaths. Also this morning on Thursday, November 3rd, the sheriff of Carroll County, Toby Lesenby, filed a motion requesting that Allen be transferred from the White County Jail to a state prison for safekeeping. A judge signed the request, and public records show that Allen will be transferred from the custody of the sheriff to the custody of the Indiana Department of Corrections. It sounds like they want to be sure that Allen isn't going to get injured or worse before he's tried for the crime in March of 2023. There's also news about Kagan Klein. He's the doughboy with a passion for child pee who's often associated with the Delphi case. Kagan might be doing a little jig today in his jail cell because prosecutors are asking that five of the 30 child pee-related charges he's facing be dropped. Kagan Klein is also the catfishing guy who admitted to speaking with Libby German through a social media account. And records show that Kagan Klein communicated with Libby on February 13th of 2017, the day she died. Kagan Klein did another thing on that February day. He reportedly Googled the Marathon gas station in Delphi. Unfortunately, the FBI failed to obtain surveillance footage from that gas station on that day to see if Kagan Klein drove there. That might have linked Kagan to the Delphi case and shown if he played some role in the crime. Could the prosecutors asking for these five counts against Kagan Klein to be dropped be related to Richard Allen's arrest? Did Klein share information that led the authorities to Allen? We don't yet know, but the Indiana State Police did conduct searches in a section of the Wabash River near Klein's home in Miami County, Indiana, in September of 2022, and the crews were observed using metal detectors in the river and clearing debris along the riverbanks. Law enforcement has yet to release what, if any, evidence was found there. Could it be related to the Delphi case? I think there's a pretty good possibility of that. Now, on to the main topic of today's video. 
trying to reconcile Richard Allen with Bridge Guy. Richard Allen has lived in Delphi, Indiana for at least 16 years, and his house is about two miles from the Monin High Bridge. That's the old railway bridge where Libby and Abby crossed paths with Bridge Guy. Richard Allen definitely had easy access to that crime scene. As we hear more and more stories from Delphi locals who knew 50-year-old Richard Allen, the general consensus seems to be that they found him a nice, quiet, mild-mannered man who liked to hit the local bar three to four times a week with his wife and play in the pool league. Delphi resident Josh Rogers is quoted as saying, I'm just surprised he lived so close and it took so long. Another resident named Carrie Rogers, who is likely Josh's wife, I think, said, he looks just like a regular guy from Indiana, some guy you'd pass on the street and wouldn't think twice about just being as free as they for as long as they have been is unnerving. It's definitely unsettling. Well now, nice, mild-mannered Mr. Allen is behind bars in the White County Jail, nearly 16 miles from downtown Delphi, and he's about to be transferred, and maybe has already been transferred, to a state prison for his own safety. As we know, he's been charged with two counts for the deaths of Libby German and Abby Williams. And from his mugshot, it's clear that nice Mr. Allen is no longer smiling. According to CNN, efforts to find Allen an attorney to represent him have been difficult, and the Carroll County prosecutor, Nick McLeland, has said that he's not been notified by an attorney representing Allen. And who would want to take on this case and represent him? Well, maybe a lawyer who wants to go big time. Somebody like the guy who represented Casey Anthony, although I think he's deceased now, but somebody like that who wants to be catapulted into the limelight. The depiction of the Richard Allen that the Delphi residents interacted with that of a nice, mild-mannered guy, is in stark contrast to what we know about the monster who's come to be known as Bridge Guy and who is believed to have committed the crime either solo or with the help of others. One criminal profiler I listened to said that she believes Bridge Guy acted alone. She considers him a serialist, meaning someone who has done this more than one time. She also believes that at age 50, he's done this before and maybe just gotten lucky that he hasn't been caught. Other people are speculating that Bridge Guy had to have had some help, perhaps from someone like Kagan Klein. Klein is that doughy guy I just showed you, who's currently in jail on 30 counts having to do with child P. I don't really believe Klein assisted, at least not in the actual act, but he might have been there in some capacity to help. We won't know for sure what the investigators know about a possible accomplice, 
until the case goes to trial in March of 2023, or in case they arrest somebody in the meantime. Here's what we do know about Bridge Guy and the crime. And as we revisit these details, let's think of them with Richard Allen in our minds. Bridge Guy was off of work on the afternoon of Monday, February 13th, 2017. He had to have been because that's the day the girls were forced to go down the hill. So was Richard Allen off on that afternoon? I have to believe he was, or else he would have a solid alibi. I'm pretty sure his colleagues over at CVS would be able to vouch for him being at work, and he would likely have been captured on surveillance video inside and outside the store that day. Libby's sister, Kelsey, drove Livy and Abby to the Delphi Historic Trail System and dropped them off at the entrance to the High Bridge around 1.30 p.m. Libby had on a brightly colored tie-dye t-shirt, and Abby was wearing one of Kelsey's sweatshirts, a light-hued zippered one that Kelsey insisted Abby take. Between 1.30 p.m. and 2.07 p.m., Libby and Abby were likely having a grand time, laughing, talking, doing what teenage girls are wont to do. Libby had her phone, and she and Abby used it to document their daring feat of walking across that old, narrow, and rickety bridge. At 2.07 p.m., Libby, Libby posted a photo of Abby walking on the bridge to her Snapchat account, that was the last time Abby was seen alive. Just after that photo, Libby and Abby encountered Bridge Guy, and the very brave and quick-thinking Libby secretly recorded him for 43 seconds. In that video, we see Bridge Guy stepping carefully across the planks of the bridge. We can see him coming up behind the girls, and we hear him telling them to go down the hill. It is believed that Bridge Guy was brandishing some kind of weapon, something that made the girls comply with his orders. From this video, it's clear that Bridge Guy is someone who craves power over others. His emotionless and powerful command to these vulnerable teenage girls makes that very clear. I will add that he's also a coward because he picked victims who could not put up much of a fight against him. He cornered them so that they couldn't just run back toward where Libby's dad would later be coming to pick them up. And again, I believe he had a weapon. The girls who were probably taught to respect adults were at a disadvantage in every way. What exactly went down between 2.30 p.m. and 3.30 p.m.? when Libby's father, Derek, showed up to pick her and Libby up, remains mostly a mystery. We do know that ultimately, Bridge Guy, either alone or with help, did the two teens in. One of Libby's black tennis shoes was found under the bridge the next day. It makes you wonder if she and Abby took off running at some point. I hope so, because... The monster who did this deserved to face a challenge, 
something that would make him sweat and feel afraid and nervous, just like the girls probably did. What exactly the perpetrator did to the girls, we don't know. However, the authorities have said that the crime scene was messy, meaning there was a lot of red there. I'm not going to say the word because YouTube doesn't like that word, and I don't want to be too graphic. I think you know what I mean. We've also been told that the monster who did this posed or staged the bodies in some way, took at least one souvenir in the way of an article of clothing from one of the girls, and likely photographed the macabre scene. There's also a rumor that the perpetrator might have filmed this atrocious act, perhaps to share with other sickos on the dark web. These souvenirs in the way of clothing, photos, and maybe a video were likely very important to Bridge Guy, things he would keep hidden away, perhaps under the ground around a backyard shed, perhaps stowed away in a basement. He may have also provided those things to others. They were likely sick treasures that he would not have wanted to part with. Somehow Bridge Guy managed to get out of the area under that old bridge and beyond Deer Creek, and he escaped the scene of his crime and the eyes of other hikers in the area. He was probably covered in that red stuff, so he either had another article of clothing to put over his red-soaked clothes, or he snuck away as is and just got lucky that nobody saw him. At 3.30 p.m., when Libby's dad, Derek, showed up at the trailhead to pick the girls up, they weren't there. Derek immediately called his mother, Becky Patty, with whom he and his daughters, Kelsey and Libby, lived, and told her, I'm here at the trailhead and Libby's not answering her phone. Derek told his mother that he was going to walk around and look for the girls. Derek also asked Becky to call Libby and see if she would answer for her. So Becky started calling and texting her granddaughter, Libby, but she didn't respond. Becky's daughter, Tara, also tried to get through to her niece, Libby, and still there was no answer. A little before 4 p.m., Becky decided that she needed to head out and look for the girls. She called her husband, Mike Patty, who was a half hour away at work in Lafayette. Becky told him what was going on, and Mike said he would head out to help search after he wrapped things up at work. You see, he didn't realize the urgency of the situation at the time. He thought they were just goofing around, maybe their phones ran out of juice, some sort of situation like that. Becky, with her son Cody, drove the different routes that Libby and Abby could have taken if they decided to walk home. Not finding the girls, Becky drove to the trailhead and parked. There were several cars parked there already, so Becky had to park across the road in a ditch. Someone also called Kelsey, who was at her boyfriend Chase's house. Eventually, Kelsey showed up, and she and her uncle Cody hiked over the Monon High Bridge and looked for the girls in the woods beyond it. Tragically, they couldn't find any signs of Libby and Abby. 
Kelsey was yelling her sister's name as loudly as she could, and to this day Kelsey hopes that Libby might have heard her and maybe the sound of her sister's voice gave her some hope, some peace, some comfort. At around 5.30 p.m., when Mike Patty arrived at the trailhead, he too walked the trails. Failing to find the girls, he called the police and told them that he and his family needed help. Mike then walked toward another bridge in the area, the Freedom Bridge. When he got there, he ran into two police officers. The police had already arrived. This eventually turned into a nighttime search in the darkness. The girls would not be found until the next day around 12.45 p.m. So when did Bridge Guy leave the crime scene? Let's say Richard Allen is found guilty of this crime, and let's just say he's Bridge Guy. Did Allen walk or drive straight home? Or did he go somewhere else to clean away the signs of the crime? Where was Alan's wife, Kathy, late that afternoon and into the evening? Was she working late at her job as a veterinarian? Was she home? Was their daughter still living at their residence at that time? These are all questions we'll have to wait to get answers to. But it is curious to try and mesh this bridge guy person that we've had in our imaginations for the past five and a half years, and his evil deed with Richard Allen. I think that if Allen is found guilty of this crime, we're going to discover that he is most likely a psychopath, and that thanks to his traits as a psychopath, he was able to hide in plain sight and come across as the guy no one would ever suspect. On the FBI's website, I found an article that describes psychopaths who are serialists, as in people who commit crimes like that, serial, multiple times. It said that they do not value human life, and they're extremely callous in their interactions with their victims. They commit crimes without a sense of remorse, they tend to be narcissists, selfish, and vain. Some can be very charming. Think Ted Bundy. And they're able to pretend that they're all around nice guys. Sound like anyone we know now? Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel, leave me a comment, if you want to support my channel, you can join the memberships. And if you want to leave a one-time donation, just head over to my Patreon.